May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Last night after our, our party for Jack and Jan, John asked me this morning, he said, did you go to the after party? And I said, no, actually, I went to a lecture. Because I did. I went to a lecture at a school down the street, and the lecture was on J.R.R. Tolkien and the impact that Beowulf, the great story, epic poem of Beowulf, had on him. And as I was listening to the lecturer speak uh, on these two wonderful stories, it got me thinking some more about the power of story, about how when we read a story, not only are we taken to other places, to other worlds, but we also see ourselves uh, in those stories, in the characters in those stories. So, you know, if you read a, a story where there's a, a cowardly character, you might uh, remember a time when you were cowardly and see yourself in that character. Or a brave character, you might see, remember a time when you were brave and see yourself in that brave character. And this has been interesting to me because over the past few months, if you've been paying attention, and I don't blame you if you haven't been, but an emphasis in my sermons has been about the power of story. The stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves the stories we tell ourselves about our cultures, the stories we tell ourselves about our world. These stories are formative. They give us a sense of self and provide a framework that causes us to act. Now, many of the stories that we are inculcated with today are stories about the will to power, stories about how we are fully autonomous individuals who self-determine what and who we are. These stories are just replications of the story that Adam and Eve were told by the serpent in the garden. The Christian story, however, however, offers us a new and better way forward. It is a eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe is a literary term for a sudden turn of events in which victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. In fact, Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien is a eucatastrophe par excellence. As Father Creighton reminded us last week in his sermon, the church calendar and the liturgy is our teacher. And a good teacher often uses stories to teach us. This week, we're going to experience two dramatic reversals. The first reversal is Palm Sunday, which will become Good Friday. Our Lord triumphantly entered into Jerusalem with the crowds cheering, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, only to be executed within a week. But just when all hope seemed to be lost, next Sunday we will celebrate the resurrection of our Lord when he burst forth from the grave to bring life to the whole world. Now today, our epistle reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And this short passage tells the eucatastrophe of the gospel in perhaps the most abbreviated but succinct way. Dr. Michael Gorman, a professor at St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore, calls this passage the master story of St. Paul's theology. And that master story makes sense of all of our individual stories. It's a story that St. Paul tells us in three acts, the incarnation, the humility, and the exaltation of our Lord. And in each of these three acts, it reveals to us something significant about Christ, about God, about the church, and about ourselves. The culmination of Christ's ministry happens in the first and second act that that involve his humility, This humility is evident in two ways. First, in the incarnation, 
where St. Paul says he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And you'll notice in the liturgy, we commemorate this moment during the Nicene Creed when we take a knee during that part of the creed. Now, some have suggested that this self-emptying meant that our Lord set aside his divinity or that he ceased to be divine while he was on earth. This is not what that passage means. What it means is that he didn't demand to be treated according to his status as God, but took on our human nature so that he could stand as one of us. He could be in solidarity with us. But the downward movement of his incarnation doesn't stop there. It continues to to a second and even deeper depth. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The death is this, this death is the central point of his mission in bringing humanity to God. Four different times in the gospel, according to St. Matthew, he anticipates his death, warning his disciples, the son of man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. The cross reveals to us the mission of Jesus. As he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But this story also tells us something about God. One of the tensions of our faith, and something we'll explore more on Trinity Sunday, is that God is one, but also three persons. Now, we cannot substitute one person for the other. The Father did not die on the cross. The Son did. But we also cannot say that one of the person acts on their own accord, nor can we say that one person possesses attributes that the other three do not. We know that Jesus acted to reveal to us the Father. He even tells his disciples, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So the events and the master story that St. Paul tells us are not limited to just the Son's actions, but actually reveal to us the heart of the Trinity, the mission of God in redeeming the world. The crucifix, a symbol which is veiled for us right now because of Passion Tide, the hanging Lord suspended on the wood of the cross, is not just a symbol of something that happened in space and time. It is that, but it's more than that. Even more profoundly, the crucifix is an ongoing declaration that God loves us. While the cross reveals to us the nature of God in Christ, it also reveals who it is that we should be. The church, St. Paul reminds us, is the body of Christ, who is our head. And the head determines the direction of the body. If you choose to move your right hand in your mind, your body will follow. Similarly, the church, as the body of Christ, follows our Lord. And we do that by replicating that master story in our own life. First and foremost, by receiving the body and blood and soul and divinity of our Lord in the Eucharist. But the word mass means to send to send out into the world. So we receive this mystery here so that we can transport it, bring it out into all the the people that we come in contact with. Now, Paul makes it clear that the eucatastrophe, the story that he tells, has a communal application. 
He begins the reading, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And if you go back two more verses in Philippians chapter two to verses three and four, right before our reading begins, he exhorts the community at Philippi, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So the church should be the domain in which this story is actualized. And when it is, we become a community that follows the example of Christ and participates with God in carrying out his mission to redeem the world. But as Dr. Michael Gorman reminds us, this text has an application for each of us on an individual level because you cannot have a Christian community without Christian individuals. He says the messianic pattern or master story reveals not only what the in Christ community is called to be, but also what each in Christ person is called and enabled to be. And what are we enabled to be? I think St. Paul would tell us the answer is self-giving lovers who are willing to humble ourselves for the good of others. And I was reminded recently in a class that I was taking that Jesus did not go out looking for people to love. He loved those that he encountered as he went. That sounds like a small distinction, but I think it's really large, actually. Because if we go out looking to love, we risk being selective and showing favoritism. Well, not that person, because they don't meet all of the boxes of someone who I want to love. But the point is us is for us to love those that we come into contact with as we go. Not picking and choosing, but offering it unconditionally to those we encounter, whether they be through our work or through our family or through our friend circles or even those we encounter in traffic or at the store or anywhere else. Christ has manifested God's life to us in dying to undo the sin of Adam, to liberate us from the bondage of sin, and to show us how to live. He's taken our pain and our suffering on himself so that as St. Paul says in Hebrews 4, we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. His story, the beautiful catastrophe of Philippians chapter 2, must be the center of our lives. It tells us who God is. It reveals who we are, sinners saved by grace, both corporately and individually. And it unveils who it is that we should be. So as we enter into Holy Week with Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and the Easter Vigil, I invite you to come to these services to live into the story, beginning with the liturgical enactment of these events, so that the master story of our Lord, his humiliation and exaltation, bleed into our lives, both corporately as a church and as individuals. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.